Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast, where we share stories of inspiration, innovation, leadership and good business to create an abundant and sustainable ocean. In this episode, our first episode, I'm in conversation with co-founder Nick Chiarelli and our communications advisor, Josh Kirkman, to dive a little bit deeper into who the people are behind this organization, what they've done to bring them to this point in time, and what their goals are with OIO. Of course, if you like the podcast, please subscribe, review, give it some love, and if you have any questions, drop us a line. I really hope you enjoy episode one of the Ocean Impact podcast. Can't take the ocean out of me. So tell me guys, what exactly is this OIO all about? OIO. It always sounds a bit like a kind of slogan for, I don't know, an insurance company or a telco, but it's way better than that. Ocean Impact Organization. All right. So we like to think we we do what we say on the tin. We're all about Ocean Impact. So what is Ocean Impact? Uh, Well, it's as opposed to being ocean-based, which a lot of people get um, this idea that it has to touch salt water, uh, ocean impact is anything that can positively impact on the ocean and mm. waterways. So it can be fairly broad. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of positive impact that can be had miles and miles and miles away from any ocean. Um, pesticides, uh, farming, the type of um, practices that we use with um, large scale agriculture, fibres. Um, consumer products, um, plastic packaging, all of these mm. things, they don't happen anywhere near or have to happen near salt water yeah. to have a big impact. I remember when we did some of our first exercises in exploring uh, our passions and interest areas and up on the whiteboard was just this simple line, we live on planet ocean. Mm-hmm. And I still come back to that every single time I'm describing ocean impact organisation to anyone because... Uh-huh. We are ignorant and naive enough as a, as a species to call it planet Earth and we look at this terrestrial landscape in which we occupy and we could declare that is, you know, that's man's domain, human's domain. Mm. But 71% of the Earth's surface is ocean. I was about to try and guess that then myself. It is, it is above 70%, right? It, yeah. It above like, 70. And rivers? Do the rivers and oceans come into that equation? Probably about right, Just isn't it? simply looking back at that shot yeah. of Earth. Yeah from space, it's blue, right? It's a blue dot in Mm. this black mass. And Mm. so for me and for for Nick, I think it's just that simple recognition that if we continue to ignore and disregard our oceans, then Mm. life is just gonna get increasingly difficult for us. And so ocean impact to me is first changing perceptions Mm. that understand that no matter what we do, we impact the ocean and the ocean impacts us every single day. Um, and then trying to reverse the scale so that what we are doing through the power of business, good business, mm. is actually uh, improving the state of the ocean. So our mission mm. statement is all about creating abundant and sustainable oceans because that's what the oceans should be, right? Mm. It's what they always have been, abundant and sustainable. Um, and doing that through inspiration, innovation, leadership and what we call good business, which is... Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the key. Good mm. business. What is good business? Yeah, and the name sort of captures a little bit of that as well, right? So there's, there's positive impact on oceans. There's impact investing 
there's your own impact as an individual um, and there's the impact that the ocean and the environment has on us as individuals and sort of ties back into the inspiration piece. So, and funnily enough, the name was actually a placeholder mm -hmm. and um, we used it for long enough that when we uh, sent it to uh, the creative agency with an, ocean, uh, with an open brief, uh, they came back to us and we thought they'd have you know, a heap of new fancy names. They came back and said, no, we actually like what you've got. We'll, <laughs> we'll keep it. And, and funnily enough, I think uh, leading up to that meeting, I'd spoken to Tim a little bit and we were both like, you know what? It's just starting to feel right, isn't mm. it? Like we'd used it enough by then that, as Tim said, it was starting to do what it, it says on the tin. Mm. And um, yeah, here we are. I love it when you look at the, the OIO logo. Um, you know, it's this O with an exclamation mark. And yeah. I, I love when we were exploring that brand for the first time and really testing it. Is this the brand that synonymizes what we're here to do? And it does because it's like, um, you know, it's like ocean with a stamp on it. Mm. It's this declaration of like, oh, the wonderment of the sea. Yeah. It's like, Ah, oh, like it's 100%. looking at the problems that we're doing, and so 100%. it's got. We're really excited, I think, about the the creativity that we can attach to the name and the brand that we've created. Yeah, definitely. I, I can give my feedback as a as a one of the early viewers of that branding, and I was kind of, like, I, I literally was like, oh, and and I was like, ooh, you know. So it's kind of like it does have those two, the positive side of it, where like, oh yeah, the oceans are, they rule, and then it's like, oh wow, that they're in a lot of trouble. Or if I mean, we really want to celebrate our Australian roots, we could go, oi. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oi. Oh, let's not go there too yes. soon in the podcast. <laughs> let's not do that. Um, so you've gotten, I mean, my next question here was the why, but I mean, just how serious is, are the problems that we face in our, in, on planet ocean right now? Like what, what are, you've mentioned a bit of the intensive agriculture. I mean, from your side, Tim, you, you're, you come from this kind of charitable sector with Take Three for the Sea. Um, how is this any different from what you were doing there? Like, what's the what's the point? What's the why? Yeah, well, for me, you know, Take Three for the Sea was born out of this need and the inspiration of bringing awareness to the problem of plastic pollution and how our behaviour on land has this very clear and tangible impact on wildlife and ecosystems. And so I suppose if I was to really summarise this, it's to say that well, well done, we've done the education and the inspiration piece for this issue of plastic pollution, mm -hmm. but in doing so, we've remained quite myopic on one issue. Um, and so when I look at the remit of Ocean Impact Organisation, it's about saying, well, what are the other ocean challenges? Because yeah. sure, pollution is a pressing issue, it's a devastating issue, but you can't just focus on one and ignore the others. Yeah. Mm. So not only is there a breadth of challenges, there's therefore an immense breadth of opportunity mm. to, to tackle them. Yeah, yeah. and um, I mean, that's part of the reason that the world's in the state that it is, because we look at problems at a very one-to-one -one level. So what's, what's the problem, what's the impact it's having, rather than actually look at the whole system as an interconnected being. Uh, and that's our approach to uh, this. We want to be industry and tech agnostic and focus on all of the problems mm. um, because, you know, th they're not as simple as, as putting them into buckets and saying, let's deal with that one and then let's deal with that one. Yeah. There is this level of interconnectedness and we think that the, the way to go about solving some of these challenges is to take a similar approach. Mm. 
uh, and interconnect disciplines and different technologies and you know everyone can have an impact yeah. somewhere. Yeah, and this interconnectedness is something you're saying that we kind of never really uh, touch on in, in most kind of responses to problems. I mean, we do see it now with uh, a lot of like one-dimensional political responses and we see it when a business goes and tries to do some good but really only focuses on one thing and doesn't really get the result they're looking for. Um, so this holistic approach, what does that really look like in practice with the OIO? Like, what do you, what, how is it actually going to take place, yeah, the processes of what you're embarking on? So, you know, the high-level tagline for OIO is that we want to help people start, grow, and invest in businesses that positively impact the ocean. So if you focus on that and you pick it apart, like people out there in academia or just great thinkers, anyone out there might have a good idea. Mm. If that idea can actually then go into becoming a profitable business, then we want to talk to you. If your business can make a positive impact on the ocean and it's scalable, uh, then we are going to be someone that you want to be talking to. Um, growing the businesses is going to take a lot of work, so designing programs to accelerate and incubate um, the best businesses out there as well. Um, and then obviously that big piece was investment and we often say that in 5, 10, 20 years time we could be judged on all the inspiration and all the education but at the end of the day success will be how much money we've been able to divert across from the traditional investment landscape, which let's be honest can quite often have a negative impact on people on the planet, yeah. across to those that are beneficial and regenerative. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the thing that, um, yeah, it's probably worth stepping through some of the early thinking around this, I suppose, um, to set the scene to some extent. So the, the, you know, there's a lot of acceleration providers out there and accelerators and incubators and so forth. And, you know, mostly geared at tech and, and the like, there's things popping up all over the place now that are say specific to an industry around say property or agriculture, um, med tech, you hear all these different techs, fintech, right? And, you know, those have, um, you know, they've had varying degrees of success. Um, The underlying premise that we're going forward with here is that if we want to solve really big problems, then aggregating people based on an industry or a particular piece of technology is not going to be enough. Mm. Yeah, you can create, you know, a lot of wealth by doing that. But are we really creating value and are we really solving problems that that are that are really meaningful right you know are we are we making our life 20 seconds more convenient because there's an app that gets my food to me quicker or something like that or are we actually solving big problems and that's what you know the problems that we're trying to um, solve in relation to the ocean environment are enormous i mean we don't have the answers now our contribution, if you like, with Ocean Impact Organisation is to build the infrastructure so that people know where to go so that they can be supported by whatever help that they'll need. Um, And even before that, to inspire people to put their hand up to say, hey, you know what, I want to have a look at coming up with an idea. I don't even have an idea yet. I want to come up with an idea. And if we can be the melting pot to bring all of those people together, then that's where we think the magic will happen. Not 
you know, being selective to an industry or, or a piece of technology. We think that's pretty limiting. And so it's focusing on the issue itself. The, the problem at hand is in the ocean. So it's about bringing all the technologies and all the businesses into that kind of space. The tech. So, I mean, the, the question that pops into my mind when thinking about this is about, you know, the appetite for this in Australian culture. Um, you are situating yourselves here in Sydney. There's a big, beautiful harbour right there. There's beaches all, all along these coastlines that pretty much all Aussies do get a, get their toe in the water at one point in time throughout their lives or more for others like us. But um, do you think the appetite's there for this? And I guess I'm asking this question off the back of the bushfire problem we've just had where everyone got quite touched by another common Australian occurrence. Is the, is the ocean impact something that you think Aussies will have a, a thirst for um, to get involved in? Yeah, I think so. I think that in in this particular point in time, and it's only growing, um, you know, we've won the hearts and minds of many when it comes to the acknowledgement that the way we've done things historically is not serving the planet and ourselves any good. So there's a lot of people out there now who are, you know, they've made that decision internally that they want to contribute to a better way, a better future. Um, but where I think we have the lack is in the actual practical solutions that take us away from this status quo business as usual across to business as unusual. There's plenty out there in the social enterprise space I think we could reflect upon. So whether that's, you know, who gives a crap, the, mm. um, the great toilet um, paper brand and they're broadening out their horizons as well, like thank you group. Like these mm. are people, people who basically said, look, you know, you're going to be purchasing a product or a service anyway why not do it with us because we're going to do this this and this which meets your values um, and expectations so i think you know superannuation and ethical investment i mean this is all happening in other sectors if we brand it up around well by buying into this you are having a positive impact on the ocean i think the appetite is going to be there in a huge way mm. yeah and i mean you mentioned the, the sort of we've touched on the geographical layout of australia that was certainly in the early thinking that oh, I can't remember what the statistic is like it could be as much as 90% of Australians live within one hour of the coast mm. and um, you know key one of the first things I recall um, after I met Tim him saying to me was that you and I know it's been a bit of a tagline through his career um, is people love what they uh, or protect what they love. Mm. And so this idea that that many people living around 60,000 kilometres of coastline and they're out there enjoying and experiencing the coast and our oceans and, you know, that might be for work or for play. You know, these people are, we think there's an amazing potential for untapped into ideas, right? Mm -hmm. People are sitting around after a surf having their coffee or you know, on their fishing boat, wondering about ways they can improve things and they don't know where to go. Mm. So, you know, long-term, you know, one of our long-term ambitions is to try and build it so that we can tap into those ideas, right? They might not know how to set up a business, but they're sure passionate about what it is that they're trying to protect. Looking for ideas, men and women. Yes, <laughs> indeed. There you go. And even on that, I mean, I think the, another big calling, I think, for myself and, and, and Nick was this, feeling. I mean, we're at the same age. We, we both love the ocean and we've both spent lots of time traveling the world. And maybe you're the same, Josh, in that you used to walk around the world with this sort of spring in your step, like, you know, this sort of proud Australian, because yeah. we've had this international reputation for a really long time. 
as having salt water in our veins, the world's greatest living organism in the Great Barrier Reef, and this perception that we actually treated our oceans and our planet really well. Yeah. And that has slipped in a big way in the last yeah. decade or so. And yeah. so it's actually when we start looking at the opportunities going into the corporate and the government space and international relations, mm. we're saying, let's put Australia back on the map. Who better than to come mm. up with all the great ideas for the future than Australians? Mm. And we know there's a lot of examples about wonderful ideas that have come out of tertiary institutions and academia that have just ended up in a bottom drawer because the opportunity hasn't been to actually commercialise and scale. Mm. So we really think that when we open our doors, there's going to be a huge amount of interest from people going, yes, let's do this. Let's make Australia a leader in creating positive ocean impact. And, and let's face it, Australia could do with a few new industries to, you know, tie its future to. Always uh, right. Um, Not make as so, many cars as we used to, which is, you know, that, you know, things are changing in this economy, right? So, so you're positioning this as like, you know, this is part of the Australian kind of idea to be a leader and to get our chins up again. Why not? Walk yeah. with pride again on planet ocean or swim on it. Yeah. And and also this kind of idea on the, uh, I guess, on the domestic level that you know Australia could do with some nice exports of uh, ideas and and businesses that can Completely. go and impact other places around the world. We're in this unique position as well that not only do we have 60,000 kilometres of coastline, but we've also got one of the best um, marine infrastructure setups getting around and we've got just about every type of ecosystem you could ask mm. for. So everything from the tropics up north right down to Antarctica and everything yeah. in between. I mean, yeah. there's just such diversity yeah. um, and, you know, we think that that can be, you know, a well of of opportunity and ideas. Mm. Just reminds me of that question when people ask me about what the weather's like in Australia. I'm like, well, it depends where you're yeah. standing. <laughs> There's too much of it to give a to give one answer. It's pretty there. bad in Manly today. <laughs> yeah, it's shocking. All good, depending on what you're. Yeah. Uh, I think people are after rain. Suffering. Yeah, people are after yeah, that. We like the rain. So coming back to the the ocean impact org itself, like, what are some of the kind of key themes that you're looking at with the organisation to focus on? Because it is a broad a broad cam a big blank canvas, the ocean. So how are these? Where are these ideas? funneling into um, kind of in a general sense in the, in the beginning here? Yeah, um, so, you know, ultimately we don't want to dictate mm. where ideas are coming from or we don't want to completely try and predict the future, but there are some, you know, key areas where we think there's some major gains. Um, Australia has a, um, a, a decent fishing and aquaculture industry and it's pretty well respected around the world. Um, you've got, you know, the Great Australian Bight is probably one of, if not the most productive fishing area in the world. And it's, you know, it's pretty pristine as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not only are they, um, you know, fishing and aquaculture industries are well respected and, and, and good industries there, you know, we're good at protecting um, uh, those areas, um, the environment itself. There's a lot of opportunity in those areas though for improvement. Aquaculture's um, definitely one that Australia has a lot of ideas and, um, and innovation in. You know, the, it doesn't come with its, with its own problems, aquaculture. Um, part of that being typically to grow fish, you need to catch fish to yeah, feed yeah, those yeah. fish. Yeah. So there's all sorts of exciting stuff happening there around insect um, meal replacement and um, and other type of replacements that you know so we can stop catching so many fish as all sorts of smart sensor technology so mm -hmm. that we can get better with the farming output 
um, better with monitoring the water quality and mm. uh, you know these fish pens generate a fair bit of waste which yeah. is no good to the local environment either. Um, there's all sorts of tech coming out looking at targeting catch a little bit better if we can get better at reducing the bycatch. Yeah. Um, that's, that's really attractive. Transportation worldwide there's a pretty big push with transportation to reduce carbon emissions yeah. and improve fuel quality and ship fit outs. There's, there's a, a push to reduce speeds as well. There's, um, there's a, a pretty decent train of thought that we can reduce emissions significantly in the shipping sector by just by reducing so speeds. Off the throttle. Yeah, I mean, it might sound pretty simple though, but you think about the knock-on effect of yeah, everyone yeah, around yeah. the world saying we'll, we'll go 20% slower and exactly. you realise that it's a bit more complex. And it's a good uh, reminder can, that some solutions are very simple. Simple, getting buy-in <laughs> yeah, for yeah. it, you know, broadly is, um, is the difficult part. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously where Tim's come from and, you know, ocean health's a big one and, and very prevalent at the moment. There's lots of activity around circular economy and ocean plastics and you know, all sorts of developments with recycling and improved you know, waste collection and... Seabin project being an example of that a, is a, good example, a right? tech solution and innovation that can prevent it actually getting into the system in the first place, mm -hmm. stormwater prevention, um, yeah, getting up, up river, upstream, um, obviously like, like Nick mentioned before there, like preventing harmful chemicals from uh, leaving the land or maybe not even going there in the first place so um, lots of opportunities there uh, energy I suppose is another huge one you know it's a it's a big old ocean out there and it it moves around with a great deal of force and there's a lot of ways you can harness that for yeah. new forms of renewable energy um, yeah I think there's so much and then obviously this this sort of theme of new frontiers I mean yeah explain that that's that's interesting let's what's that all about well, New Frontiers, it's really who's got those wild, big ideas out there. We know that the leading um, tech innovators out there are already looking at space exploration and colonies on Mars, and that might sound like absolutely ludicrous to some people. Why are we doing that? But if the world and the planet is changing in the way that we predict, then how can the ocean maybe even be a source of a new frontier for us mm. to live? Like Those ideas that at first can just seem so out there so sci-fi um, may in 10, 50, 100 years time well, actually some be of these, very, very viable. Yeah, yeah, some of these things are closer than you think. So there's lots of large scale seaweed farming, offshore seaweed projects being looked at. And, mm. and down in Tasmania, they've just established a, what they're calling a Blue Economy Cooperative Research okay. Centre. And they're looking at taking aquaculture way offshore um, 100% powered by renewables. Yeah, right. So take the pollution problem um, offshore and run these aquaculture pens almost, well, I'm not going to say 100%, but, you know, almost autonomously. More connected with the energy that's being created out there. Think already. about, yeah, energy, yeah. sensors, um, you know, all sorts of... Um, cool tech and, and all sorts of obviously weather and environment challenges to make that happen mm. but you know it, it's real there's a you know people are getting together around this problem with there's some you know there's some decent money looking at it as well so because there may also huge opportunities in that instance to sequester carbon right you know you yeah. know look at the growth rates of some of these seaweed species and they are absorbing massive amounts of carbon yeah. from the ocean and we know the oceans are getting incredibly acidic and yeah. so is our atmosphere so if we can 
stimulate huge growth of these carbon sequestering plants, mm. then um, we can make a big impact. Yeah, I had the good fortune to actually help harvest some seaweed up in Norway um, last year, and it was just a fun job actually. I had a little knife, and like we're looking for these specific plants and freezing our asses off, and then we're you know, literally eating some of this seaweed directly off the rocks. It was like the coolest thing ever. And, and oh, I've right. got a real taste for it. And there, there are some good businesses out there. This was actually called Lofoten Seaweed. And they're using it for different spices and stuff like seasoning and foods. And they've got a whole product range that's being kind of delivered out of Norway now because, and the Norwegians are a good example of this. You know, they look at their oceans and they work with them quite well. Um, aside from the fact they like to drill for oil in those oceans as well. But like when it comes to aquaculture, they're, they're quite diverse and there's a lot of good ideas there. Um, and these are some of the ideas that you, you imagine the, the Aussies out there that are hearing about this. Um, you know, they might have toyed with the idea of trying to harvest seaweed or a new way to do oyster farming and things like that. And that's kind of what you're looking for. That's um, right. Yeah. Um, with the kind of, this is a big idea, it, it's never been done really in Australia, what you're about to embark on, how did you get here to this idea? You know, because it's quite a big one and I understand you're a chartered accountant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, we can cut that bit out later. Yeah. How, did, how, did, how did you get to this point where you, you know, not so much the meet up with Tim, but I'm thinking before that, what was the, the catalyst for you to kind of take this journey on? I got made redundant. <laughs> um, That's a good start. Rock bottom, you can jump from yeah, there. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it, it's tongue-in-cheek, but uh, true. So, yeah, three years ago, I um, took a redundancy package from a job that I'd been at for eight years. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a startup in data security software. And you know, I had a fantastic experience there. We got to, um, you know, we were sitting on milk crates and year one and uh, you know listed the company six years later and um, you know set up in the UK the US and had this fantastic experience just seeing the, the entire journey of a startup through to a, a small cap listed company um, and when I left that I thought what am I going to do next and I was lucky enough that I'd been I've been there long enough to have a bit of a payout let, let me sit around and think about it and I just approached it like a job. I ha I've always had this itch that needed to be scratched. Um, in fact, you mentioned me being an accountant. When I got qualified as an accountant, the very next day, I went in and resigned and um, moved up to Cairns to become a scuba instructor. <laughs> and uh, That's excellent. So I've always been a reluctant accountant. And um, I'm, when I moved up to Cairns, actually, I only lasted about nine months up there because I quickly realised that, well, one, I had no money, two, I wasn't being very mentally stimulated in the role I was in, and, um, and three, I realised I was actually eating into um, what I really enjoyed. I was, it, it didn't really work to do it every day in that mm -hmm. fashion. So then I went off to London and just, you know, moved into role after role after that in, you know, accounting and, and finance type roles. and. So yeah, for what, 15 years later when I took that redundancy, you know, I, I started to realise and see some themes happening that let me think that, well, this spectrum that I could never reconcile, you know, either making money and being mentally stimulated or having a, a deeper purpose and something you're passionate about, I didn't think I could reconcile the two. But at that point I saw the, these worlds colliding and I thought maybe I can. So. 
yeah, I approached it like a job and just set about, you know, speaking to as many people as I could and just keeping my eyes open to what was going on and reading a lot of stuff. And I was um, reading a lot of books about conscious capitalism and biomimicry and things that made me think that, you know, we can live in a world that, you know, we, we, we've stuck with capitalism, let's face it. It can be a better system of capitalism. Mm. Um, but yeah, this, this thought that we could move to a better system of capitalism and, you know, but I was like, where do I, where do I point my efforts? I think, you know, if, if, if I want to have impact with my background and experience, I'm best place trying to move dollars. I think Tim mentioned it before from status quo investments into, into more regenerative and sustainable investments. But how do I, how do, I do that? Right? Where's my little niche? Um, and then I don't know, one day I just realised and I was looking at the startup landscape that there wasn't really much happening in the ocean space and I asked myself why. Um, and yeah, I just went about asking that question of a few people that I trusted and that were in tech and startups and I was expecting someone to slap me across the face and say, this is why, you know, like yeah. really blindingly obvious yeah. um, answer, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't forthcoming. So yeah, just spoke to one person who introduced me to another person and introduced me to another person and that led me to yeah, getting an introduction to Tim one day and in fact um, I thought I was going out to meet Tim to say hey mate I'm looking for a board seat where I can give back to um, something that I'm passionate about but also uh, build my profile and network around whatever it is that I'm you know trying to get into now. Um, so I went out and met Tim for a coffee and uh, thought we were there to talk about that and ended up him asking me more about what I was doing yeah. and this ocean accelerator thing that I was talking about and I sort of stepped away from that meeting and thought, did he just like, was he talking about working with me on this or is that what happened, just happened then or it was... This does sound like a, like a meeting, like a first date, or not actually the first date where you know that you're actually on a date. It seems like you just kind of met at the party and it was like, wow, I, I, yeah. I think he's into me. Yeah. <laughs> did you, did cool. you get butterflies too, Neil? <laughs> <laughs> uh, did, did, did he really? Did he really want to work with me? Oh, wow, I better find out. Oh, cool, so that yeah. was like, but I mean, I, I want to take it back a step before we get to the, the kind of the meeting of the minds and because and, everything that happens next is what brings us directly here. but. With this um, space you had to, like you went on your own educational journey to find what you wanted to do exactly. Like how long are we talking here? Like how much space did you have for yourself? Well, I probably did cut out a year there. Where, um, <laughs> um, so it, look, you know what? It didn't actually take me long to realize where I wanted to go. So yeah. these, those themes, um, the main themes were um, purpose-based business. Yeah. Um, purpose-based founders not trusting the typical sources of capital and support that are out there yeah, yeah. and investors typical investors that you know what they actually are looking for purpose-based investments to get into yeah. but there's no deal flow mm -hmm. they don't know where to go you know to find these initiatives mm -hmm. sure you know individual things will pop up here and there but you know where do I go where's a network of there's a steady no stream of these things these, yeah. exactly mm -hmm. and, and you know People get to a point also where, you know, they like to invest in stuff that they like, mm. right? Yeah, it needs to make sense economically, but, 
you know, if they can, you know, really be across what it is and be as passionate about what it is that they're investing in as the founders, that's a great marriage for a successful, a successful venture. So, um, yeah, I was having the right type of conversations. I just didn't know exactly. Um, and, and, you know, I was sort of agnostic as to what it was. As long as I was ticking those boxes, could I facilitate something moving the dial um, investment-wise? Um, you know, was it a truly um, sustainable model and purpose-based model? Then, you know, I, I was looking at, at anything and everything. And in fact, I got into a, um, one of the first conversations I had was with an old uh, advisor um, who, who had done some work with my previous company who'd started a Manuka honey business oh, cool. in Australia. So I actually got that into that for a, a year, um, helping get that off the ground. And it's pretty cool, cool business actually. It's still running today. It's a regenerative agribusiness where it's about replanting native um, Manuka or leptospermum plants where they should be along the east coast of Australia to cool. produce really high potent yeah, right. Manuka honey, which has all sorts of health yeah, health exactly. benefits. Exactly. Good for the bees. Good for more the bees. bees. Yeah, we need more of that. They sequester a heap of carbon, uh, supposedly more than a pine forest. Yeah, cool. And uh, they don't need much water and they're native. So it's got, yeah. yeah. Those type of models really took my eye. And I was just looking for, yeah, holistic models where, you know, you, you can say that it was good for people, good for planet, yeah. um, you know, all, all the way through, yeah. <laughs> and um, anyway, then, then funnily enough, Tim mentioned Seabin a moment ago. I, um, at some point I saw they were looking for a COO. This was three, four years ago yeah. now, um, three years ago, when they were still in Spain. And I yeah. thought, right, how cool does that sound? So I started talking to Pete Siglinski about that and um, I didn't end up taking the job, but seeing, talking to him at the time, and I think seeing the way that um, he was approaching things with Seabin probably did inspire me mm. um, in a lot of ways. There's a lot of interesting ways that they've gone about building their business that leverage the power of the crowd and mm. you, you know, you support a base. And I think yeah. that um, this venture can take a lot out of that way of thinking. It's not just you know a novel piece of technology or a uh, an innovative um, business or a great partnership. I think the future is about innovative business models that yeah. look to leverage things that previously weren't thought of, mm. right? You know, how do we use the power of our supporter base to influence policymakers? And, you know, the ocean suffers from this thing called the tragedy of the commons. Mm. And, um, you know, Seabin had a really cool way of dealing with that, right? You know, yep. if they're trying to sell a bin to a, a, a wharf that's owned by the public, yep. you know, where's the motivation for the council or the government to put that high on its priority list? Well, unless the community's screaming for it, it's going to remain low on their priority list. So, you know, they've done a, their community is rallying for yep. Seabins now and crowdfunding yeah, exactly. for Seabins yeah, and it's, it's genius. Their sales. It's, 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 yeah. genius. it's just beautiful, right? And, and I think what for me that jumps out of what you just kind of, um, you know, the, the origin story for you, there's two points that come out of it. It is that the, the, the interesting one is that like you walked around and were asking people why there wasn't an ocean impact kind of entity and you're expecting them to give you a like a really easy reason, slap across the face, like, come oh, mate, of course there's not one because... 
But the reality is, you were right that there wasn't one, and, and it wasn't a crazy idea to think that it's a good idea to have one. And I think that's when a lot of people look at their ideas and when they look at, yeah, because everybody's got them all the time, but they often talk themselves out of pursuing it because they feel like, oh, well, if it hasn't been done already, there's a good reason why not. And I think that's an interesting mm-hmm. thing for, you know, the types of people that you're looking for in the accelerator. You know, they've, they've got these ideas and they're probably just doubting that, like, oh, it's probably, it should have been done already. So that's why I won't push it any further because it seems a bit outrageous. I mean, the, the other thing is that, you know, taking time to actually have a think about what you want to do with your impact is actually something worth doing. It's kind of like meditating on, you know, what, what, am, I, what am I meant to do with this, these resources I've got, you know, spending 15 years of your life building up your education, your experience, you know, what, what is it that I want to do with that that's going to have a positive impact? And I think, um, I don't know, it's a really powerful message and a journey. Like, I, I think it's a great journey and it's... Um, way more interesting than I thought you know like from the we haven't had this conversation in that much depth but um really cool to to get to this point and then you know having the willingness to put yourself out there and meet people to find you know the other side of the coin here and you know for you Tim like coming to this you know you've got that kind of take three history which a lot of people who might see this have are probably more familiar with your your face you know you've you've won awards in the environmental space you've been on TV talking about the issues of the day and documentaries. There's a pretty big shift here for you coming into this kind of business world. What's that all about? Yeah, it's a massive shift. Um, so going back in who I am, you know, deep, passionate environmentalist and conservationist. So pretty much from being a teenager, knew that I'd be, uh, I'd, I'd somehow craft a career that allowed me to fulfill my um, environmental preservation passions. Um, that's taken plenty of twists and turns, but you know, notably I've just spent a decade building up Take Three for the Sea, which started with a, with a good idea that was um, developed by Mandy and Roberta, the other two co-founders, and evolved over, over that time into an established environmental organisation with a, with a big reach and a big impact. And mm. so, you know, you get to that point where you go, wow, that's awesome. Like, and probably as early as a couple of years ago, I started realizing that that organization and that message was a runaway train. And mm. even though for those early years, I positioned myself in the driving seat to get it there, I started to just recognize that it didn't need me anymore. It was bigger than me, but also naturally getting a little bit of that dissatisfaction that there's more out there that needs to be done. Like mm. 10 years ago, the world, to me, felt like we needed a Take 3 message. We needed people's attention on plastics. Mm. Here we are in 2020, we need that same level of attention on all the other ocean challenges. Mm. We need them on the entire climate of um, understanding of, our, of the, the precarious state of our planet. And so I, I'm compelled to evolve. Um, I think I mentioned to you, you know, I was reading an essay and it was this George Orwell quote and he was just sort of saying, how all he wanted to do was write creatively and write prose and explore that, but he was sort of forced into becoming a pamphleteer to political issues because the time almost dictated that. And I don't want to sound too sort of profound there, but you know that's what we really need right now. And so for me, stepping into this world of business is because we need to. As Nick said, 
capitalism ain't perfect, but it's here to stay. So how can we turn capitalism to be more conscious? How can we say it's okay to make profit, but how good is it to make profit and not screw over the planet and not screw over people? Because we're bigger and we're better than that. We're smarter than that. So anyway, um, in terms of their circumstances to, to bring Nick and I together, I sort of had um, a wonderful experience in midway through 2018 where I went up to the Great Barrier Reef with a really impressive team of environmentalists and activists and philanthropists to immerse ourselves in the reality of the state of the reef. Mm. And I came back away from that three days up there with Tim Flannery and Professor Ove Hogelberg and all these incredible people, Anna Rose and others. And I thought, okay, you, you know, you can't just keep thinking you've got to do something next, you've actually got to do it. So mm. I started talking to my network about my interest in broadening horizons beyond Take 3. And lo and behold, one of those connectors was um, Sarah Rickards from Future Giving, who is a great connector. Is it and called Future Giving mm. now? Yeah, she thinks she's toned it down. A <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Sarah. She's not just, I mean, you know, you cannot badge Sarah for just one thing. She's just, yeah, she's, she's like, so active in this little yeah, part of the world in, yeah. in bringing the right people together to really, and her whole thing now is like transition acceleration. Uh -huh. We know that everyone out there is sort of wanting to or actively transitioning, yeah. so let's accelerate people's transitions. Um, and so she did that, well done Sarah, you accelerated my transition because <laughs> she introduced me to Nick. And um, yeah, so I was definitely there at that meeting thinking, wow, this guy is really interesting. So to sort of package it up and put a little bow around it, like Nick and I, as we first started, you know, dating each other and getting the whiteboard up and identifying <laughs> who we were and yeah. where our values aligned, we could safely put Nick on one side of the spectrum and say he's sort of, you know, a bit more like traditional capitalist, like chartered accountant, worked in, you know, finance. Well, he figured out when he'd run out of money when he was a scuba dive instructor. That was good when the accountant figured that out. I, I, I left really, enough yeah, to... I nearly laughed out loud. He goes, yeah, then I figured out I ran out of money. I was like... Accountancy degree just paid for itself. <laughs> but sorry, back to the whiteboard. Back yeah, to the whiteboard. Yeah. And so there you had down on one side of the spectrum, sort of Nick and that traditional sort of capitalist approach. And on the other end of the spectrum, you had this sort of way too lefty leaning, yeah. all he cares about is purpose. I haven't made a lot of money in my career. I've just cared, been fueled by passion and purpose. Yeah. And then here this was this beautiful middle point where Nick and I could safely say we meet which is just about saying, well, profit for purpose. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah, and, and that really a, is the line that we're, we're championing. Yeah, and in a way that um, is where the business wants to operate, but it's also a journey for both of us. So 100%. we sort of, we talk about this a lot. We spend a lot of time talking about what the organisation looked and felt like, even, you know, from the very earliest days and you know we from a personal point of view we and everyone that we want in this organization you know there has to be a sense of self-discovery and learning there right because the problems that exist today are going to be different tomorrow and our approach to tackling challenges or you know everyone needs to keep moving we need to keep our minds open and so it's a continual journey for for us as well really interesting point yeah that whole you know, I, don't, I hope we didn't paint you as this right winger that just came <laughs> yeah, out a little too much. Yeah, I know, no, no. I was just like, all right, 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 right we need to bring this back. True. But, but you, what you're saying is true. It's like everybody is on a constant journey and the types of people to be involved in an organisation like this have to be adaptable, open to challenges, finding solutions, 
addressing the next challenge, finding solutions. Like it is that ongoing cycle that be passionate and open-minded and willing to learn and exactly. become part of the journey. And that's the sort of people that we want to attract into this yeah. ecosystem, regardless of their background or skill set. Of course, of course. And obviously now into even our communications approach, right? We we certainly aren't coming out here onto the scene and saying, hey, look at us, we've got all the answers. Like yeah. we're the absolute opposite. Yeah, completely. We're saying, look, we've done the validation point as to why this is an incredible opportunity. Yeah. This is what we do know, but these are all the things that we don't know. Yeah. And come on us, come with us on a journey mm. as we discover how to turn this opportunity into something that you can all interact with and participate in. Yeah. Because there's a huge knowledge gap, right? Like for most people, understanding like the oceans are complex, the, the problems are complex. So, you know, to, to assume that you've got all the answers is kind of just saying, we got no clue, you know? Yeah. So this journey that you're on, um, it's all beginning now, but tell me, like, in terms of the organization itself, I understand that you've been doing some fundraising already. Um, that's kind of step one on a, on a multi-step journey. So where, where's everything at now? And, and maybe after addressing that question for the for the listener and the viewer, what are the what are the next steps say in the next say three to six months and, and let's kind of hear about that. Yeah, well so I mean the organization's been around as in ourselves and our team of advisors have been interacting for quite some time, well over twelve months. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick and I are getting close to probably a year months. and a half. Um, and so it's by no means new in that context, yeah. but Obviously, where we're at right now is we've done a lot of work in that validation piece. We've now got uh, a brand, we've got strategies, but of course, that's all well and good. You need money. Mm-hmm. And so for us, this, um, this fundraising piece has been an important one because every time we're going out to people who are contributing to OIO, um, it is that final validation that it's a product that people want to invest yeah. in. Yeah. Um, and it just gives us that runway into the next development of our growth. So we're calling this initial fundraising campaign you know, Venture Philanthropy. And that was I, my uh, next question on the yeah. page right here. So what's, what is that exactly? How do you phrase or so, define that? Yeah, we can probably each put our own little spin on it. For me, um, working in the environment space and the charity space for a long time, you know, organisations like Tate 3, they rely on giving. Um, people out there that are fortunate enough to have the ability to give mm-hmm. will give if they know that you're, you're good for it and you're going you're gonna to do good things with that contribution, but it also has to align with their values and passions. And there's a lot of people out there who care deeply about the state of the ocean and the state of the climate. So the difference, I suppose, with venture philanthropy is that our goal with the success of OIO is to have incredible investment opportunities in businesses that positively impact the ocean. Mm-hmm. So this early ecosystem of donors um, become the early adopters of the impact investment yeah. uh, opportunities that we'll provide. Mm-hmm. And Nick can go on from there. Yeah, I mean, we it, it's taken a while and we even... You know, we only went live with this venture philanthropy um, fundraise in December, and it, it, it took a long time to even to get to that point because we made a decision to uh, go after philanthropy in the first instance. Mm. So there's a lot of government grants, and 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 we could have, and ultimately we want to get to those and corporate sponsorships and so forth that are out there. The problem with what we're trying to do here is that it's such a nascent um, mm. ecosystem. 
that it would have been difficult to go after that sort of money immediately. And the way that we're approaching the model with um, you know, wanting to have as many participants from all sorts of walks of life, it made more sense to strategically target philanthropists that have had a, um, or that have a known uh, or a background in ocean initiatives. Okay. So let's, let's start, you know, if we're thinking concentric circles, let's work here and find out who are those people that we can go and meet with, build a connection with, um, you know, connect with here, uh, but that also um, have the capacity to provide some funding. Mm -hmm. But then beyond that, you know, they can bring their own business smarts. Yeah. So a lot of these people have their philanthropy side of things, they've got their business side of things. And our ideal um, venture philanthropist at the moment is someone, yes, we'd like a check, but also we want your knowledge, expertise, your network, we'd mm. love you to become a mentor if the opportunity arises. And ultimately we want you to, to back some of these um, ventures that come through our programs mm. when the time comes around. Yeah. And, and that, um, you know, it took us a little while to get to that concept of venture philanthropy, but I remember the first conversation we used it, where, I mean, we'd been talking to philanthropists about this idea, mm. and it wasn't until we started using that term that, yeah, they were supportive, but I think that's when they really connected with the idea and the concept. Yeah. So, you know, at the same time, for every venture philanthropist we bring on board, we, you know, we're building our network of investors yeah. and um, so you know, getting closer to the long-term view that this can be completely funded by people looking for investment returns yeah and and that um, so the venture philanthropy aspect right now it's to kind of get the operations underway to go and build the accelerator and to start to develop the programs start to find the companies or provide access to the acceleration program um, and then moving beyond that, just so that people, uh, I think the whole impact investing side of things isn't a completely understood concept. Like it's getting bigger and bigger every year. The reports all show, I mean, I remember reading a report like back in, um, must have been 2014, and like there was something like $50 billion worth of um, impact investments back then. And there was this spectrum of expected returns in those investments. And some of them were, yeah, we want financial returns plus a nice impact, but some didn't really worry that much about a big return and just a little return. And some were like, well, whatever, we'll just fund it because we want to do it. What exactly does that impact investment mean uh, within the context of the OIO? Like, what is that exactly? Well, we want to, um, we want to embed impact principles in all of the startups and ventures that we're associated with. So I think we said at the start we want to, we're interested in ventures that can make money and have impact. Not just a tacked on piece of, you know, feel good marketing or a, a small nominal contribution like a to, style yeah, design, you know, yeah. no, no, we want, it's profitability through impact is what we're really interested in. So tackle a big problem and make money doing it is, is also, and, and you know, things need to be um, measurable. Mm. So, you know, the ideal um, scenario is a group of a portfolio of companies, if you like, that uh, can articulate returns from a dollar point of view, but, you know, depending on what problem they're tackling, you know, they might have a, a target uh, number of tons of plastic diverted from oceans or, 
you know, any other yeah. um, number of measurable impacts. So it can be, you know, and this is an important piece of the puzzle, right? You know, like as you were touching on, there is the greenwashing potential of certain um, businesses starting up, and they just want to kind of increase their marketing viewpoint and, and get that kind of love from the consumer and you know then they'll buy something and feel nice about it but it won't really mean anything yeah. so mm. you know this this measurement aspect is actually like a critical element and you're saying through the acceleration program these principles are going to be <coughs> developed with these startups from from day one yeah well that's you part of the impact. problem getting it in yeah. day one getting into your thinking early exactly um, it gets hard to retrofit impact measurement, totally. as you probably yeah, know. Yeah, I do have a bit of experience. Um, yeah. So, yeah, if we can embed that principle very, very early in a lot yeah. of these, in the early stage ideas, uh, we, you know, and we look, consumers want it. People are getting sick of greenwashing. Yeah. Um, and we, we think that's that's the future. Mm, exactly. Um, when even like when you start thinking, you know, our strategic pillars, they they start with that first pillar of inspiration and education. So we've been doing a lot of that through Take Three, obviously, over the last decade, but getting in and activating young people to realise that their brilliant ideas can be the technology and the solutions that can disrupt the status quo. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I think that being able to sort of acknowledge that if we keep just going down that CSR path and business as usual with a slight adjustment of half a degree, mm. we're still going to be having these conversations in a decade and 30 years time. Yeah. We really do need that level of agitation to actually disrupt or at least send them three degrees instead of one degree. Mm. And ideally, you know, the ideas that we start to attract and the leaders and the entrepreneurs and the innovators are going to be those great disruptors that will yeah. mean mm. in 10 years time, 20 years time, mm. we can be sitting up I'm very well, proud of ourselves. In 20 years' time, I'd like to see the term impact investment become redundant. Exactly, because all investment has impact. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And people forget that's what that's how business started. It was business started to solve problems. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not about just the shareholder. Mm. It's become about the shareholder in relatively recent terms. But, and there's lots of problems out there to be solved, so... Yeah. But that's just got to point business great, at them. That's a great point because I think a lot of people um, forget that bit about business. And this is, and obviously there have been some businesses out there that have been quite happy to push the limits of their external impacts and and say that it's not really their problem. They're just doing business. But in the beginning, it really was like, what's the problem we're solving? All right, well we've got a market, and we're going to like, you know, here's our technology, and buy this, and it'll solve that problem. Let's all yeah. go. Well, the first company came about just because um, they had to come up with a structure that would encourage ship owners to head off to the East Indies to yeah. you know, bring back spices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, no one was willing to take the risk themselves, so they you know, manufactured the idea of a company yeah. um, you know, to solve a problem. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Mm, that's interesting. And it's a, it's a good turning point to bring it around and to add that and to have that goal of impact investment becoming the redundant aspect because all the businesses coming out have a, an impact, a positive one instead of a negative one. Um, no, so it's a very pure vision and goal. I mean, coming back to the types of investors that you're looking at, what, like, who are the, maybe it's a little game we can play, but like, who are some of these characters you're looking for? Like, in the Australian context, like, who are the, like, are there three investors that you could 
name here that aren't in, in on board already that are the types you're like, you know what? Those those people would be great to get involved in this. We know, you know, based on your experience and knowledge, like are there any names that come to mind? That we had you... Mike Cannon Brooks up on our vision board pretty early on, didn't we? Okay. As a, what was the terminology? Uh, something about the validation key point. There's a terminology you used about when you get that person on board, super credibility. Oh, yeah, passing the line of super credibility. Okay. Yeah. So, Mike, if you're listening. Yeah, Mike. <laughs> Anyone who knows Mike. I think I, yeah, I recall that term actually came from... Um, uh, reading the book Abundance, I think, mm. and um, just trying to call what the story was. Yeah, the who's the um, the Abundance author, Peter yeah, Dyer. Yeah, he he had this idea for the X Prize, I think, uh-huh. and he said that it was just an idea until one day he got on stage, and I can't remember who he got on stage with, but he dragged someone that had a much bigger profile on stage yeah. than he did at that point. And he used the term, and I've loved the term ever since. He said, at that point, my idea went beyond, you know, scratching the surface to passing the line of super credibility. Mm-hmm. And when I stepped over that line, I was able to drag along just about anyone mm-hmm. uh, into this idea as a supporter of it, and it just took off like wildfire. Okay. And so, yeah, that's what that whiteboard session we did was talking about, you know, six, nine months ago, how do we... How do we tr- progress this thing here? How do we build our supporter base? And you know, I drew that line of super credibility on the board and asked ourselves, how do we how do we get over it? Mike Cannon Brooks would definitely help. <laughs> <laughs> but who are the others? Because there's a lot of characters in Australian culture and, and Australian political and business life. Like I mean, yeah. this is real. Like I mean, this is this is a big vision, and it's going to require big. Investors, yeah, exactly. Like, so who are some of these other? Are there any other ventures? Yeah, I mean, I'd say in mind. Yeah, I'd say like Andrew Forrest, Twiggy Forrest. I mean, he's one of Australia's most prominent um, givers at the moment to the environment, and he's recently done a doctorate in marine biology. So certainly, he's up on our vision board as well. If you're listening, Andrew, yeah, give give us a call. Um, who, who would you say is the third one? Have you got someone, Nick, that you'd... Well, um, you know, there's not so many names that I'd throw around. I mean, Australia is a pretty small space for yeah. um, impact in investing and and even this concept of venture philanthropy is pretty small. I think your question started with who are the typical people we're targeting. Yeah, more or less, yeah. So it's more a case for us of, and in fact it's been this way with everything we're doing, it's working with the, you know, the most... Um, the strongest supporters that we can garner in the first instance before we try and step outside of that layer. Mm. And um, so, you know, the typical people we're looking for are similar to those venture philanthropists we've been speaking to. Like, we want to find out if you surf or you dive and, you know, what it is that makes it a passion point for you. Um, And if we identify those people, we're already halfway there because... um, you know, a lot of these people, particularly if they're in their, um, you know, heading towards retirement years or beyond, you know, and it's not to say that there was anything bad with what they did because times have changed, but, you know, a lot of these people are really consciously looking for ways that they can, you know, leave a decent legacy and, yeah. um, you know, something that their kids can look up to. And look, they might have been involved in mining and all sorts of other things and, you um, you know, but again, that you know, times have changed. It's not to, you know, rubbish what what they did in the past, but they're proactively looking for opportunities like this. Well, Andrew Forrest is an example of that, right? A big mining 
play and now he's like I mean how much has he poured into the Mindaroo Foundation at some very what, significant what, amount of 1.5 bill at 30 June last there, year there you go so yeah. like it's a significant play and it, and it most likely does play into this legacy but these people also they do understand impact like they, they know that there are opportunities they get the, the thesis right like they get that technologies that solve problems and businesses that can be built with those technologies are going to be successful in the market of the future. Like it's, it's a pretty straightforward idea. And, um, you know, even like in the last week, you know, like the, the Tesla share just keeps on going up yeah. and up and up and up and up. And I was having a conversation with a, a good colleague uh, of mine in, in Sweden. And his theory is that, you know, basically the reason why that's going up like that is because investors are looking for something to invest in that's good and it seems to be the only thing there they can invest in so they keep on investing in it there isn't necessarily any significant news that's broken about tesla to say here's why it should grow like this it's it's maybe because investors many investors at the same time are going like damn i've really got to start doing something good here and that I seems think a to lot be the of, only one laying around. A lot of people have been waiting for it to fall over. I know, so it, it, the it more people that thought it would and every day that it doesn't, yeah. I suppose, gives people more of an impetus to, yeah. I want to get on board. So. But there aren't a lot of companies on the, that are listed that people can invest in anyway right now, right? Like there's a huge shortfall mm. of like, even if, a, even if someone wants to buy shares in something that has a huge positive impact through business. It's difficult. Yeah. Not a lot there. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, what, what the Ocean Impact Organisation is doing is kind of like feeding up those companies and that that is basically kind of the... I guess I was trying to go there with, like, the investors are actually looking for these opportunities. It's pretty obvious. Yeah, and that, I think, is a um, huge opportunity for us and, and our challenge, I suppose, is is putting that marker down and saying, well, this what is quite clear is where we want to get to. Mm. It's going to take time. So are you willing to come into our ecosystem to you know, to back Nick and I and all the advisors that we have involved mm. to, to get us there because your heart and your you know your mind is aligned on mm. on what needs to happen. There's not enough opportunity out there currently, so help create a new opportunity, yeah. and that's exactly what it is that we're trying to do. And it, we're not just we don't want to exclude anyone out there who's listening to be involved. You can donate to us no matter who you are, mm. but we really do want to change something on such a significant scale that we need the backing of people who, who believe in the vision. Mm. What are some of the, kind of to maybe tie this in a bow, um, you did mention the advisors. So like who, who is it who is kind of the advisory board here and what's some of their expertise just so, you know, people can get an understanding of the broader team involved at the moment? Yeah, I mean, they're all listed um, on the website, but, you know, we thank our advisory group for all that they've contributed to date. There's definitely expertise there in investment in previous, um, you know, in acceleration and incubators, um, definitely in the marine sciences, marketing communication. I mean, we've covered all bases really there with our current advisory group. Um, Nick? You Are we throwing out names or? No? Yeah, they're all on the website, so you can <laughs> sort of talk to them, yeah. You can check that. Yeah, well, I mean, we, the, even the advisory group came together with the thought of let's just um, uh, attract a diverse group of people around a problem. So we put on a lunch one day and um, yeah, of the, you know, we did carefully select maybe 10 or 11 people um, because of their backgrounds and mm -hmm. we thought that they had, you know, really high capacity to add value. And um, yeah, six of those people became our advisors and um, yeah, we're absolutely wrapped with the way it's taken off. Um, 
the contribution from them as individuals and the organisations that they're part of has been mm. um, enormous. So we have um, Peter Steinberg, who's the managing director of Sydney Institute of Marine Science. Okay. There's um, David Redhill, who's the uh, chief global marketing officer for Deloitte Consulting. Um, there's James Tilbury, who's the CEO of Energy Lab, which is a renewable energy um, accelerator. Uh, there's uh, Michael Van Niekerk, who has a background in um, impact investing and, and sustainability consulting. And Catherine Ball, who amongst uh, a heap of other different things, um, was recently a judge on the XPRIZE Ocean Discovery, oh, wow. the 7 mil Cool. Um, Ocean Discovery Prize and uh, author, um, drone expert in Australia, uh, all of these different things. And Linda Coker, who is um, very experienced startup tech mentor, advisor, advisory board member, mm. and non-exec director. So we put those people in a room and we sort of have a lot of different bases covered um, to look at how things have been done in other um, you know, in tech and acceleration yeah. land and marine science and, you know, we think that we put them in a room and we've also got a decent future view. Okay, well, that's how it has been done. How can we do it a little bit differently? Yeah. Great group, a really diverse group. I mean, yeah, Tim was right. It's a pretty broad group of people coming together. Um, to really close it out, like, what's the, what are the next, uh, what can people expect from the Ocean Impact Organisation I believe there might be some communications coming, um, but also what else is happening in the next, say, six months? What are you focusing on? Yeah, so I mean, phase one is um, is obviously succeeding, and we, you know, we'd say that it's already been successful, our initial funding raise, but really trying to build that initial micro-ecosystem of philanth venture philanthropists. Mm. But look, you know, it's all coming out now. This podcast is, is part of this communication strategy that we've been developing and now executing. So you'll be able to follow us at, at oceanimpact.org uh, and the website is ocean-impact.org. And now the time to start really uh, inspiring and educating because that really is that first pillar. Um, but as part of that process, we're attracting the attention of our big crowds, so anyone who's interested in creating an abundant and sustainable ocean, but really looking at those um, people out there that have found us. Have you got a good idea? If you've got a good idea, go to the website and register your information. If you're interested in investing in us in the future, go to the website, give us your info. Maybe you're a mentor. So this is all about ecosystem building. Um, as Nick said, it's all very nascent. All the elements are out there. We are just aiming to be that, um, that catalyst to, to start tying it in. And as I said, it's going to take a while. There's a long journey ahead. We're a small team. We've got to use these uh, opportunities to build our resources so we can start developing those innovation programs, opening yeah. up the investment fund. There's many, many steps ahead, but we're, we're starting with this first one. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It's certainly ecosystem building is, uh, is um, where it's at and doing that in a a strategic and sensible fashion, I suppose, because we are a relatively small team. Um, but by all means, yeah, if listeners have uh, ideas or if you're working on something, please let us know about it. Uh, head to the website. Uh, there's some links on there. If you just want to sign up and you're wondering what this is all about, um, you know, you can expect some, you can expect some 
inspirational stories and content from us as well over the next few months and yeah come along for the come along for the ride yeah take the plunge take the plunge